0: Challenged and help uh, each and every one of us to uh, maybe learn something, if we don't learn something, to just be refreshed about something, be, uh, a truth maybe, and help us to just leave here uh, a little different than how we came. Thank you for Wednesday nights and the fact that we can just get together and, and have a Bible study and just look at some scriptures. We love you in your precious name I pray, Amen. Alright, what well we saw there, uh, the story of the blind man that was um, born blind of his, of his birth, is what the Bible says. And the entire chapter, which is kind of a lengthy chapter, I mean, uh, not as lengthy as some of the chapters we've been in, in John, but 41 verses in, in chapter number 9, the entire chapter uh, revolves around this miracle, this story. And I just want to look at a few thoughts and, and, and show you a few things um, about the story. If you look at verse number 1, the Bible says... And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master... Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, we find here that the disciples just automatically assume that because this person was born blind, that someone had to have sinned or had to have been some sort of a punishment. Uh, And and they're asking, who did sin? This man or or his parents that he was born blind? Now, the disciples, if you go with me to the book of, uh, well, actually to chapter number 5 in the book of John, and you look at verse number 14, you'll more than likely see why it was that the disciples were asking. Asking this question, if you remember, uh, when we were in John chapter number five, we preached the story there of the uh, of the man at the pool of Bethesda that was uh, that that Jesus Christ also healed. If you look at verse fourteen of John chapter number five, the Bible says, "Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him." Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. So if you see there in John 5, 14, when Jesus Christ healed this man, after he'd been healed and after he'd been uh, saved and all of that, Jesus pretty much says to him, Hey, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Which was kind of letting us know the reason that this man was in this state is because of his sin. So, with that in mind, when they come to this man in John chapter number 9, and they see him begging and he's born blind, The disciples just assume that it's also because of sin. And Jesus Christ teaches them a lesson here. And He explains to them that, you know, we should not assume. We should never assume. And this goes back to this kind of prosperity gospel where these preachers will preach that if you're not rich or if you're not healthy or if you don't have, you know, all the blessings that God has for you, that there's something wrong with you. And the truth of the matter is that being rich or being healthy or, or... or having, you know, all sorts of nice toys, doesn't necessarily mean that the blessing of God is on your life. And this man, the Bible says he was born blind, and the disciples asked, well, who did sin? They just assume that that uh, someone had done something wrong and that's why they had health problems. And we, sh- we should never look at somebody and, and see the state they're in. Maybe they're, they're, they're going through uh, hard financial times or hard emotional times. Maybe they lost somebody or maybe they're going through health or they've got a family member. We should never assume that they're just in sin because of that. Now, yes, the Bible teaches that many times God will, will, will correct you and God will chasten you because of sin. But many times, there, there's many different... Uh, Reasons why God might be putting you through something. I preached a sermon one of the very, uh, I think it was the second or third Sunday uh, that, that, that we started the church, and I preached a sermon entitled, um, what was the name, title of that sermon? Uh, Your Best Life Now with a Big Old Question Mark. And we were preaching about that, that, that prosperity gospel, and, and we went through and showed from the Bible all the many different reasons why God might put somebody through something. Um, like this. And if you look at verse number 3 in John 9, God, Jesus Christ answers the disciples, He says, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, and look what it says, but that the words of God should be made manifest in him. So the Bible says in John 9, 3, that the whole reason that this man, and we don't know how old he is, but we saw there in the chapter, that, uh, when they talked to his parents, they said, Hey, he's of age, he's an adult, he can speak for himself, and the whole reason that from birth, this child grew up through his teenage age, teenage years and up to his adult years being blind. And the reason that God put him through this, the whole purpose was for this moment in time when Jesus Christ would pass by him and they would have this conversation and this event, this episode in the Bible would happen. Jesus would heal him and the Bible says that it was done so that the words of God should be made manifest in him. I was talking to somebody today and uh, we were talking about uh Christmas time, and it was a different preacher, and, and he was telling me about what, they, what he preached on for Christmas, and uh, I was telling him what I preached on for Christmas, and I was telling him about this point, and, and this point in, in, this, in this sermon reminds me of what's going on here, and I was telling him how, how uh, when, when I was preaching on, on Christmas there in Luke chapter number 2, something that jumped out at me that I'd never really seen before in, in Luke 2, is that the Bible says, it starts off that Caesar Augustus had the entire world be taxed. And then I never really thought about the fact that obviously at that time, under the Roman Empire, uh, the whole world was under the Roman Empire, and we understand it wasn't the entire world, but the, the civilized world at that time, and that Caesar Augustus literally had the entire Roman Empire, the entire civilized world be taxed. And they had to go back to their homeland. And the whole purpose that God did that was so that one young couple, Joseph and Mary, would be forced to go back to Bethlehem so that Jesus Christ could fulfill the prophecy and be born in Bethlehem. And obviously, God could have just chosen two people in Bethlehem to give birth to Jesus Christ but the Bible also tells us that he had to be called a Nazarene so he had to be Jesus had to be raised in Nazareth he had to be born in Bethlehem so God needed to take a couple from Nazareth and have them go to Bethlehem now no one in the right mind would take a woman who's you know about to give birth and, and go on a trip but they had to because Caesar Augustus told them to and God literally had the entire world be taxed he had the entire world be inconvenienced he had the entire world uh, be, be made to 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 pay a tribute and that could have put many people in a financial hardship many people had to pay that tax many people had to make that trip to Jerusalem or make that trip to wherever they were from and that could have hurt their business that could have hurt their family that could have hurt their finances but God was willing to inconvenience the entire world to make sure that one little couple was where they needed to be. And God would do that. And God here, we're told, that He was willing to inconvenience, He was willing to, to, to make this man be blind. I mean, could you imagine your whole life not being able to see? For the whole purpose, and the Bible tells us, and God is saying, the whole reason is that the works of God might be made manifest, and that Jesus Christ, the whole reason that He was blind His entire life, was for this moment where Jesus Christ could heal And you know, sometimes as we go through things in life, and we get better, and we don't understand, you know, why do I have to be taxed? Why do I have to go back to Jerusalem? Why do I have to be born blind? And why do I have to go through this? And why do I have to have these hardships? And why do I have to have these issues? And why do I have to have these problems? And we don't know the grand scheme of things why it is that God does what He does. But we know that God doesn't just put you through something just because He's an evil man, an evil person. And if God has a, a, a reason, and it might be your sin, it might be, you know, that, that we're, we're being corrected or chastened, but it might just be that God has a plan, and God's going to show Himself wonderful and powerful in that story. So, we shouldn't just look at people and assume, oh, they're in sin. Because the Bible says, hey, Jesus said, neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. But that the works of God should be made manifest in Him. And it's just amazing to me how, you know, we saw there in Luke 2 and we see here how God is just willing to inconvenience. God is just willing to burden. God is just willing to put people through some hardship because He's got a plan. And He's got something He wants to do. So we should keep that in mind. But look at verse number 4. Jesus says, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is yet while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of of the world. As I read these two verses, verse 4 and 5, you know what I get from that is I see uh, in the military, you know, they use the term sense of urgency. When they, they want you to move, you know, when you're in basic training and they want you to do something, they want you to do it fast, and they'll tell you, move with a sense of urgency. And that's what I see Jesus doing here. He, you know, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. And he says, while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. And this is kind of what we were preaching about on Sunday night also, you know, with that New Year's message. And Jesus had that mentality about him. He had that, that, that focus about him where he just, he said, I've only got so much time. He said, I've only got a day to work. The, the, the night is coming when no man can work. And he just had this focus and the sense of urgency about him. And he said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So he understood, hey... Only as long as I'm in the world, am I the light of the world. You know, later on, he'll tell his disciples, you know, ye are the light of the world. But he's saying, as long as I'm here, I've got to do the works. And he had this sense of urgency. He had this way about him where he was just out preaching and he was out working and he was out. He wasn't getting distracted with this world. He was just saying, hey, I must do the works of him that sent me. You know, and I love that verse in James 4.14 where it says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And we see that that mentality, and that focus. And I love that focus about Jesus. And I wish I had more of that focus and I'm working on it. But, I, I, you know, that should challenge all of us to just have that desire to be like Jesus and just realize time is short. The, the, the day is far spent. The night is coming and we've got the work that we're going to do has to get done now. If we're going to do something with our lives, if we're going uh, to Life. And, and here, in John chapter number 9, we're going to see just exactly how it is that one little act that Jesus does impacts a whole lot of people. And He does that because He understands He's got to do the work. He's only got a certain amount of time. And we've only got a certain amount of time. So we've got to make sure we get at it. And we've got to make sure we get to work. But look at verse number 6. The Bible says, When He had thus spoken, He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and He anointed the eyes of the blind man. With the clay. Now, this miracle here, I believe, is as a picture of salvation. I got to be honest with you. When it came to verse number six, I didn't have to do much studying, and I didn't have to do much, you know, praying and and looking up because um, I got I got this uh, outline from my sister. I don't know if my sister remembers that, but um, this is a long time ago. I don't know why we were talking about John chapter nine and verse six, but I remember one time she was telling us about. She was reading this or something, and she gave me her thoughts on what she thought it was. And I remember when she told me, I was like, "Eh, that sounds pretty good. And I'm going with that. So she's going to actually come up here and finish the sermon for me. And I'm just joking. But um, she gave me this, and I think it's good. If you look at verse 6, it says, When he had thus spoken, it's very interesting. Because usually when you see Jesus healing somebody, he just kind of says, you know, stand up. You know, he just kind of tells them. But here in John 9, 6, you actually, we see Jesus do something that's a little peculiar. But look what he says. The Bible says, verse 6, When he had thus spoken, the Bible says, He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, it kind of seems like Jesus is not very proper here. But the Bible says he spat. Now, the... And again, if you don't like this part, you know, just talk to my sister afterwards, because she gave me this. You know, I'm, I'm just joking. You know, I, I think this. But to me, the, spat, the, the, the spit there represents the Word of God. You say, well, well, how is that? Well, Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse 26 says this. And that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. A lot of times in the Bible, the Word of God, or the, the, also the Holy Spirit, but it will be represented by water. And the Bible says that Jesus spat on the ground... And you know, obviously spit is like a you know, form of a liquid, a water... Not only, that, not only does that represent the Word of God... But the fact that the spit... I know it's really basic, you know, it's a real deep sermon... But the spit came out of His mouth... And the Word of God, the Bible says that it proceeded out of the mouth of God... So just like God spoke words... Jesus, as He spat liquid onto the ground... I believe that that represents the Word of God... It came out of His mouth... And, and, and water, uh, in the Bible, you know, there in Ephesians, it says, By the washing of the water by the Word. So you see there, number one, when God wants to heal somebody, because uh, many times in the Bible, when somebody gets healed, it's a picture of salvation. And when He wants to save somebody, the first thing He needs is the Word of God. He needs the washing of the water by the Word. But not only, see, the Word of God cannot just save anybody. You know, people, got this, people have this mentality, and we just get a bunch of Bibles and we distribute them out, people will get saved. Or we get a bunch of tracts and we put Bible verses on them and we just hand them out, people will get saved. And I've heard people talk about um, uh, Bible confetti and... and and they'll, they'll, what they'll do is they'll, they'll take a bunch of paper and they'll cut it into little pieces. And in each little piece, they'll, they'll, add, you know, they'll print like a, a Bible verse. And then they'll take that and they'll like make confetti out of it. And I've literally heard of Christians doing this. Go up and down the street and just throw this Bible confetti in the air. And they literally think in their heads that somebody's going to grab that confetti, read that verse and get saved. Let me tell you something. Nobody in the history of the world has ever got saved by getting a little piece of cup. Bible can It's just not going to happen. It's just a waste of time. But let me tell you this, and, and, and many Baptists disagree with this, and that's fine, but, you know, if we, if we go out and grade a bunch of tracts and just pass out a bunch of tracts, people aren't going to get saved. And if we go out and just grab a bunch of, you know, uh, John and Romans and pass them out, people aren't going to get saved. And, and that's the truth. The Bible says that you need the Word of God to get saved. But you know what else you need to get somebody saved? is a human being explaining to them how to get saved and that's why the Bible says that Jesus he took he he spat on the ground he said well what does the ground represent? that represents a human vessel you know Genesis 2.7 says this and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into him the nostrils into the the nostrils the breath of life 2 Corinthians 4.7 says this but we have this treasure in earth and vessels referring to our bodies says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us Now, now think about this if you just go with me, just real quickly, we're going to come back to John 9. But go with me to Acts chapter number 8. And I'll just show you something. And it's something, you know, the Bible should always be our authority. And, and look, we got we got tracts, and we print out tracts, and we spend money on tracts. And I'm not, I'm not against church invitations, and I, And we put the gospel in the back of ours. And there's nothing wrong with giving those out, and I understand that. And we're actually going to talk about that a little more here in a, in a little while. But let me tell you something. If you go around, and, and, and if we, we could spend... Hours just putting invitations on people's doors. And unless if we don't knock on somebody's door and actually speak to somebody, those people aren't going to get saved. And if you look at Acts chapter number 8, let me just show you something. Uh, Look at verse... Number... I don't have this... I didn't have it in my notes, so let me just find it real quick. Look at verse... 28. Actually, look at verse 27. Bible says, And he arose and went, and behold, a man... Of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had came to worship for, uh, for to, uh, and came to Jerusalem for to worship. So, just so you understand the context, uh, Jesus or the the angel, of the Lord came to Philip, and he said, "Hey, I want you to go to a certain place. I want you to go preach to this man." And he finds this man, uh, and it's this Ethiopian eunuch. Look at verse twenty-eight he was returning and sitting in his chariot and read Isaiah as the prophet so this eunuch was sitting in his chariot a great, a man of great authority he worked for the queen of Candace uh, of the Ethiopians he, he was a eunuch he was in his chariot he was reading the book of Isaiah look at verse 29 then the spirit said unto Philip go near and join thyself to this chariot and Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said understandest thou what thou readest now look what he says He's reading the book of Isaiah. And if you study what he's reading about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And Philip, he asks this question. He says, understandest thou what thou readest. And look what verse 31. Look what the man responded. And he said, how can I? Except a man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And look at verse 32. Well, let's let's skip the verses. You You can see there what he's reading. Um... Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, could we just grab a bunch of book of Isaiahs, pass them all around the city of Sacramento, and we just know that people are going to get saved? Acts chapter number 8, how can I? Except a man should guide me. So look, just giving, you know the only time somebody gets saved by reading a Bible track? Here's the only time somebody gets saved. When someone has already explained the Gospel to them, and they reject it, and then they think about it because the Bible says the Word of God will not come back void, and that seed is planted in their heart, and they think about it, and they think about it, and then maybe they pick up a a Bible uh, track and they start reading it, and it says, you know, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and and it says, you know, that the wages of sin is death and and they start reading, you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, but you know, they only under, because the Spirit the, the 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 natural man cannot understand spiritual things. No man that is not saved could pick up the Bible and just understand it. They can understand it after somebody has explained to them, but nobody's gonna pick up the book of Isaiah and get saved. And that's that's just the truth. No one's going to get, uh, you know, John and Romans and, and just read it and get saved. There's got to be a soul in it. The spit wasn't enough to heal a man. He had to take ground, which represented a man, and he mixed them. And, he said, and what God was teaching, what Jesus was teaching, is when you take the word of God and you take a human vessel and you go out, then you can heal somebody from their sickness. Then someone can get saved. But simply giving somebody a Bible is not going to save anybody. And the only time you find somebody in the Bible who's reading the Bible, who's not saved, who's going to get saved, they, Philip asked, understand this what they reading, he says, I don't understand this at all. He says, how can I? And what does Philip do? Like a good soul winner gets up, and the Bible says he opens his mouth, and begins to preach Jesus Christ. So how do people get saved? They need, do they need the Word of God? Yes. But they also need a human vessel. You, that's why Jesus is just spit in his eye because that, w- that would have been rude, number one, but he spit on the ground, and he took ground, and he took the spit, and he took the water, and he took the earth and vessel, and he took the word of God, and he takes a man, and he sends him out. And look, I'm all for passing out invitations. If, if I'm, you're know, if you at the drive-thru, and you don't have time to give somebody a gospel, give him an invitation. You say, oh, do you think that invitation is going to get them saved? I don't know. I know this. It's free advertising. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you think of, if you th- and we'll, we'll get more in- into that here in a little bit, but, Look, look at uh, so, so a... So I believe that. I believe that's what the, what the picture there is. God uses His Word and a human vessel to heal someone from their sin sickness. God used His spit that came out of His mouth and He used ground and He made clay and He healed this man. And I believe that's a picture of soul winning. That's a picture of salvation. Do you need... Can, you, can, can a man just go... Here's another thing. I don't believe that someone can just go. go... Talk to somebody, never open the Word of God, never quote a verse to Him, and just explain to Him, Oh, let me explain to you in my own words, Jesus died on the cross. That won't save a man either. My words are not, the Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful. You need both. You need the Word of God, but not just the Word of God, you need a human vessel. You need a human vessel, but not just a man, you need the Word of God, you need both of them. And that's what I believe Jesus is uh, illustrating here. But look at verse 7 in John chapter 9. Verse 7. Another reason why I believe that this is a picture of soul winning is because of uh, the following uh, verse. Verse 7, Bible says, And said unto him, look what he says, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, and look what the Bible says, which is by interpretation, sent. He went his way therefore, and washed, and came seen. See, God never saves a man without sending a man. And we should never forget that. God will never save a person without sending him. Is It's funny that God... Jesus uses this illustration of soul winning, and, and He gets this man saved, you know, healed. He's not actually saved, we'll see that in a little bit. But He heals this man, which is a picture of salvation. And then the very next verse, He says, He says, go to the pool of sin. Bible says in John, well, let, let's go there. I don't know where you're at, if you're still in Acts or not, but go, go with me to the book of John, chapter number 20. And look at, look at what Jesus said. John, chapter number 20, and look at verse 21. John chapter number 20 and look at verse 21. John twenty twenty one. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, look what it says, even so send I you. So when Jesus, you can go back to John 9 now if you like, but when Jesus healed this man, the very next thing he, he associates with this man is, this word, sent. God does not save a man without sending a man. God does not give salvation without giving a commission. And the very first thing, and you know what, I I feel like I I talk about this too much, but you know, the Bible talks about it, but I, I honestly believe that as a Christian, the only purpose, I mean, the only purpose that God keeps us in this world is for this, soul winning. That's it. Otherwise, why wouldn't He just take us to heaven? When somebody gets saved, when somebody, uh, prays and asks Jesus to save them, why not just rapture them up right then? Why not just kill them and take them to heaven? I mean, wouldn't it be better for us to live in heaven? Away from the sin, away from the temptation, away. But here's why. Because immediately after you get saved, God expects you to be sent. God expects you to go. You say, well, how soon after salvation should I go soul winning? The next verse. Because the next, you know, He heals them in the very next verse. The very next thing. Immediately He says, He says, go, go to the pool of set." Because God does not save you without sending you. And Jesus Christ said, Even so send I you. And what Jesus was saying was, His mission in life was, I mean the Bible says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. His purpose in life while He was here, other than dying on the cross to pay for our sins, which, which was how He gave us salvation, was to go and get people saved. And Jesus, what He's teaching here is that that is our purpose. And we can go to church, we can read 9 chapters a day, we can read the entire Bible... Fifty billion times before we die, and we can pray, and we can fast, and we can tithe, and we can be faithful at church, and we can do all sorts of stuff. And if we're not a soul winner, we failed at life, because the purpose of a Christian is to get somebody else saved. You know, that's it. I I had the wonderful blessing um, last night to lead one of my coworkers to 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 the Lord. Um, you know, after work we were already dismissed, uh, and 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 we you know we were talking and after giving him the gospel he bowed his head and accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior and you know what I believe and and, and, and I'm not saying this to glow I'm honestly not but I, I was driving home last night and I was just praising the Lord that this person got saved because this individual is somebody who I really like I've worked with him for many years now and um, I've attempted to give him the gospel like two or three other times I was just telling my wife I've attempted to give him the gospel and every time I try to you know When you're at work, it's different than when you just knock on somebody's door, you just kind of get to it. You know, you're like, we're from Verity Baptist Church, you know, if you're but when you're at work, you know, you want to be a little more um, subtle. And I just attempted to kind of veer the conversation towards that way and try to, you know, not scare him off. And it seems like every time I started talking about anything that got even close to God, he just kind of shut down. Just kind of maybe walked away or just didn't want anything to do with it. And last night, his, you know, obviously the, the, the funny thing is, he brought up something to me about last time I tried to give him the gospel, he was asking me a question about that conversation we had like a year ago, because I hadn't seen him for a while, because I deployed, and he deployed, and I hadn't seen him for a while, and this was the first time we'd worked together for a while, and um, he asked me a question, and then that led into me giving the gospel, he got saved, his spirit was completely different, you know, I honestly believe that, you know, I, I didn't waste my time, those other times I was giving him the gospel, that word got in there, and he'd obviously been thinking about it, and the, he even brought up something that we talked about, and, and, he got, and he got saved, but you know what, that is the point of life, and I, I I can think of three or four or five different people at my job that have gone saved since I've been there, that I've had the, 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 the wonderful privilege to give the gospel to, and they got saved. And you know what? I honestly believe that that is why God had me there. So well, God had you there so you could uh, make money. And that's just the, the byproduct. Everything on this planet, everything we do on earth, every relationship we come across, every person we meet, the whole purpose is this, to either get them saved or help train them to get somebody saved. That's it. Every neighbor that I have, I have them here so that they can get saved. Now they might not ever get saved. I might not ever be able to get, win them to Christ. But Jesus Christ has them in my path because He doesn't save you without sending you. And that is the purpose of of, uh, of the Christian life. And I could be, you know, I could do everything right. And if I never open my Bible to pre- open my Bible and open my mouth to preach the Word of God, then I've just wasted my life. But we see there. I I love that because when he says to him in verse 7, he said, well first he said, go. Which that just reminds me of, go ye therefore into all the world. But he says, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. You say, well that's a coincidence. Nothing in the Bible is a coincidence. Obviously the fact that it's even mentioned, it serves a purpose. And I just like that, that he, the, the picture is there that he got saved. And then immediately he says, go, I send you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. That's what Jesus says. But look at verse 8. The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam. So you notice, Jesus didn't tell him he spat on the ground. He just, he just said, Hey, he just made clay, you know, and, and he anointed my eyes. And he said, Go to the pool of Siloam and watch. And I went and watched and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received the sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I wash, and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And look what it says, and there was a division among them. Now, I'm always amazed by the Jews, and I won't get into it because we've gone into it before, but I'm always amazed by the hypocrisy of these Jews. I mean, I don't understand what these people did on the Sabbath day. Uh, they, they must have just like laid in bed and just not, you know, not even opened their eyes. Because, I mean, the Bible makes it clear, obviously, the Sabbath day, you weren't supposed to go to work. I mean, is it really worth to spit on the ground and pick up dirt, you know, and, and, and put on... I mean... The, the, the hypocrisy of these people is amazing. I don't know what they did on the Sabbath day, but... Obviously, Jesus is not sinning by doing this on the Sabbath day. But but you notice they start arguing, and at the end of verse 16 it says, There was a division among them. And really, that's what Jesus does. You know, we, we ought never be surprised when Jesus Christ in our life causes a division. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 10, in verse 34, you don't have to turn there. But it says... Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. This is Jesus speaking. It says, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And Jesus said, Look, if you, if you add Jesus to your life, there's going to be division. There's going to be people who are just going to be against you. There's going to be people who just do not like you. There's going to be people who you're going to have to divide yourself from. There's, going to be, there's just going to be division. That's what Jesus does. I mean, Jesus gets inserted into the life of this little community here. And the Bible says there was division among them. That's just, the presence of Jesus will cause division. So when you start having problems, you know, with family members because of Jesus Christ, when you start having problems at, at work and you don't really understand, man, what, what's going on? Where is this persecution coming from? Where is this Where is this coming from? When you start having problems with neighbors or friends or, or whatever, just just realize the fact that Jesus is part of your life is just going to bring division. Because that's what Jesus does. Look at verse 17. And they say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that received sight. So the Jews are like, Nah, I don't believe this guy's blind. I don't believe, I think he's faking it. But then they call his parents, and look what it says in verse 19. And they ask them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. For he is of age. Ask him, he shall speak for himself. So they're just pretty much like, well, if we don't know, he's he's a grown man, ask him. But look at verse 22. These words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already, that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. And that's kind of a sad statement, but you you know, we should never allow people to intimidate us. You know, especially I think of uh I, I think of uh of, of kids, you know, when they're when they're in school or or uh you know, my own kids as as they'll be growing up and they'll start you know, the the peer pressure and peer pressure isn't just for kids. Obviously we as adults we can be pressured by peers as well, but, you know, we should never allow people to intimidate us, and I, I've always been of the assumption, and I always, I, I've always just kind of had the mindset that I believe we do ourselves a, disav- uh, a disfavor as Christians by being on the defensive, and I think a lot of times we just put ourselves on the defensive, and like, you know, just turn issues, like, you know, um, you know just randomly pick an, pick an issue, you know, as Fundamental Baptists. The Bible teaches that women shouldn't wear pants. They should only wear skirts. You know, I think a lot of times we, we get on the defensive, and, and, and people will ask us things like, oh, well, why does your wife only get pants? And we just, oh, well, you, you know. Well, really, we should, we should be on the offensive. We should, you know, I'm not saying we should be mean or angry about it, but look, we shouldn't just let people just... Um, bully us around, or push us around, or, or make us feel like there's something wrong with us, you know, hey, the Bible says that a man should, should not wear that which pertains to a woman, a woman should wear that, so my wife wears a dress because she's a lady, she's not a man, you know, and, and I'm not saying we should be rude about it, but hey, we should just not be intimidated, and we shouldn't let, you know, people say, you go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday yes I do, because I love church, you know, and, and I'm just saying, I think as Christians, we need to just get out of this defensive mode and get more on an offensive mode where, look, it's like, look, I'm not the freak, you're the freak. You're the weirdo with your spiked hair and your dyed hair and your weird music and you're dressed like an idiot. I mean, you're the, the world is the one who should be ashamed of themselves, not us. You know, but this, this, this family here... You know, they should be siding with Jesus, they should be glad that Jesus healed their son, and instead they're just kind of like, oh, well, you know, we don't know, ask him. And it says, because they feared the Jews. And fear is always a bad thing. The word fear is always a negative thing in the Bible. Unless you're fearing God, it's always a negative thing. So don't allow yourself to be intimidated. I'm not saying we should be rude or harsh or anything like that, but, you know... We shouldn't let people just look down on us and make us feel like we're like there's something wrong with us because we love God or we have... Stand- you know, you listen to that kind of music? You, you sing those hymns? Is like, yes, I listen. You know, the garbage you're listening to. So, you know, just don't don't, don't be on the... You know, that's, especially kids. You know, you'll, you'll save yourself a lot of trouble if you just get on the offensive and you you make them feel like they're weird. You know? Anyway, look at verse 23. Therefore said his parents, He is of age as him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this is that this man is a sinner. Now, again, I'm just amazed by these by, by these people. They make these statements and they aren't even thinking about They're like, we know that this man is a sinner. But if somebody would have questioned them and said, Oh really? What sin have you seen Jesus do? They wouldn't have been able to give one. You know why? Because Jesus never sinned. You know, so they just make these statements. We know that he's a sinner. Oh really? Name one. What have you seen him do? You know these... these these Jews and these Pharisees are just hypocrites and they're just speaking without even knowing what they're talking about. Look at verse 25. He answered and said, now now, here's something interesting. The man said, he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Now, something very interesting. The blind man is not saved yet. We're going to see here in a little while, he gets saved. But this blind man is not saved yet. now, when Jesus healed them, that was a picture of salvation. When Jesus told them to go wash, that was a picture of the commission of soul winning. But this, the man himself isn't even saved yet. And you know, we, we need to make sure as we study our Bibles and we, we look at Scripture, um, we need to make sure that we differentiate the illustration from what the Bible is actually saying. A lot of times the Bible will use an illustration. A lot of times the Bible will use a picture. A lot of times the Bible will use a parable. And there's nothing wrong with those things. And those are good things. And they're good preaching and all that. But you know what? Sometimes a parable is not just going to match up perfectly to what somebody's trying to get it to teach. We should, we should never, you know, we shouldn't just say, oh, you know, what happened? I thought the man got saved when, when he got back. no No, that's just a picture of salvation. You know, we need to make sure we understand in the context, this man isn't saved yet. That was just a picture of him getting saved. And sometimes people will make entire uh, doctrines and entire religions based on a parable. When there 's a very specific commandment that teaches against whatever that person is trying to push, you understand what i 'm saying? so we need to be very careful that we the, the parables in the Bible and the illustrations in the Bible they always need to be they always need to match up to what the Bible is actually saying, statements that the Bible is saying. Um, we should never take the illustration above a statement. A statement is always uh, correct in the Bible, and obviously this man isn 't saved um, but look at. Look at verse 26. Then said they to him again. What, what did he to thee? How did he open that eyes? He answered them. I've told you already. Now I think it's kind of funny because the man starts getting an attitude with them. Because they've already asked him like four different times. And he's told them. So now he starts getting an attitude. He's like, I've told you already. You did not hear. Wherefore would you, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? So they're kind of like, just saying like, do you want to be a follower? Why are you so interested in this man? Then they reviled him, so they like rebuke him, and said, thou art his disciple. And look, look at their attitude, they're just they're, these people are just dumb people. said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. You know, it's just dumb, because the Bible makes it very clear. If you followed the Old Testament, and you followed the prophets, if you followed Moses, if you, if you were of Abraham, and if you were of Moses, you'd be of Jesus Christ also. You cannot be for one and not the other. And they say, we know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. And here's another thing. They're like, We don't know where this man is from. That's what that word, whence he is. Like, we don't know where he's from. Well, we've already looked at many passages in the book of John where they're arguing about where he's from. They're arguing about the fact that he's from Nazareth and he's from Bethlehem. And they're saying, Well, we know that Christ comes from Bethlehem, but he doesn't come from Nazareth. And they're, you know. The same Pharisees are just contradicting themselves over and over. If you just look at their arguments, they make no sense. Because unsaved people cannot understand the Bible. The, the problem with these Pharisees is that they're not saved. And they're not allowing somebody like Philip, like the Ethiopian eunuch allowed Philip to come up and teach him the Bible. They're not allowing Jesus, or they're not allowing somebody who is saved to teach the Bible. So they're just coming up with all these weird rules, all these weird things. You're not allowed to spit on the Sabbath day. When the Bible never says you're not allowed to spit on the Sabbath day. I mean, it's talking about servile work. It's talking about going to work and earning money. You're supposed to rest from your work. It doesn't mean you're just supposed to, you know. But they come up with all these weird things. And that's what unsaved people do. Go, you know... I mean, don't do it, but go talk to a Jehovah's Witness, go talk to a Mormon, go talk to a Catholic, and come up with all sorts of weird things. Jesus, you know, you take this bread and it turns into Jesus' flesh in your mouth. Or, you know, you got this special underwear you wear when you're a Mormon. All these weird, crazy things. I mean, I don't know if you know that. You should, you know, YouTube it. There's a lot of funny things about YouTube. But these Mormons, they have these special holy underwear they wear. that they, you know, And, and some of the real, like, really deep Mormons, like, they don't take it off for any reason. Like, even showering. They just wear this weird... You know, it's like, where do they come up with this stuff? Same with the Pharisees. Where do they come up with this stuff? They're not saved. That's the problem. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God. In order for somebody... In order for them to... If they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved because somebody explains to them the Gospel. And then once they get saved, they have the Holy Spirit. Then the Bible says the Holy Spirit is going to teach them the Bible. But until then, they come up with all these crazy, loony, weird things. Why? Because they need somebody to explain to them the Bible. Uh, Look at verse 30. The man answered and said unto them, Why, hearing is a marvelous thing, that you know not from whence he is, and he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that a man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? They cast him out. So see, they're doing the same thing as the disciples did. They're like, you were, you were born in sin, and you're going to teach us? You know, disciples, well, who's, who did sin? This man, you know, it's just this attitude. We should never have this attitude that because somebody's born blind, they're less than us. You know, and, and here's another thing. if I, The Bible says that the man was born blind, that the works of God may be made manifest. Okay? God had a plan for this man to be born blind for a reason. The fact that this man was born blind guaranteed that he would get saved one day. You know, but if this man lived in 2010, 2011, you know, he'd probably get aborted. You know, that's another thing we need to think about. The, the value of a human life, you know, we are not, you know, in our society people, you, you, they, they get pregnant and, and then the doctor finds out that there's some sort of a problem with that child and then they just decide to, to abort the child. And it's, it's, it's not a good thing because you don't know what God's going to do with that person. You don't, you don't know what God's plan is for that person. You don't know that God created that person. And if, and if that child was born blind, if that child was born mentally handicapped, that child was born with an issue, you don't know how God is planning on using that life. And we ought, to, we ought not just write people off and, and think that we're better than trying to create some sort of a, a, a super race with people that, that, aren't, uh, you know, that aren't sick. We ought to love people. Even if they have defects, even if they have problems. But anyway, the Bible doesn't... Something interesting about the story I just want you to think about. We're almost done, I promise. But something to think about. The Bible usually does not give us this much detail when it comes to Jesus Christ healing somebody. Normally if you read the Bible and Jesus is healing somebody you'll just see the interaction between Jesus healing that person, and then we don't really hear about it anymore, and I believe that John chapter number 9, is just kind of an in-depth, opens up to us the aftermath of what Jesus Christ uh, healing a person did I mean, isn't that crazy that all that I mean, the parents have to come and explain and and they have, you know, the, the whole little town there is arguing, and there's a division and all these things happen because Jesus healed a man now that's a big impact in that society I mean, how many people did Jesus heal? Imagine if the equivalent happened with every person that we read of in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that got healed. I mean, there was times when the Bible was saying there was just they're just bringing people to Jesus, bringing, and he was just healing them, healing them, healing them. He's walking by; they're touching his garment, and they're getting healed. I mean, he he might have healed hundreds, maybe thousands of people in his ministry. And imagine if every single person that got healed had this problem where the Pharisees and the Jews and the leaders and the parents and maybe it wasn't just like this but maybe you know with the family and, and all this this background uh, information that we don't normally get but we get in the story and I believe what God is trying to teach us is this that there is a value to every person and you don't know when you, when you go and get somebody saved and you go and, and heal somebody and you go and you restore a, a marriage or you restore a life or you or somebody's life gets changed because of Jesus you don't know the extent that that impact is going uh, to make. And it's very easy to see the impact that Jesus Christ made on this world in just three years, three and a half year ministry that He had, where we're still talking about Him, where we're still preaching about Him, where we're still going out door to door, to telling people about Jesus. And it's very easy to see because if one person disrupted this whole society, imagine everybody He healed. Imagine everybody He saved. You know, and there's a value in that. And that's why, you know, and, and all of it has to do with this thing of soul winning. You know, I made a joke about, oh, I'm not against giving out tracts; it's free advertising. You know, we don't go soul winning to build a church. Obviously, we go soul winning to get people saved. But the only, the only way that Verity Baptist Church is going to grow is by soul winning, period. Because look, we have nothing to offer, you know, as far as competing with these liberal, charismatic, Pentecostal, Giant mega church, you know, they've got, they've got everything to draw in a worldly crowd. They've got the rock music, they've got, uh, you know, the, the short message, they've got the facilities, they've got the programs, they've got the money. They got, here's what we got, salvation. The only thing that we have that would make somebody want to come to church on a Wednesday night, meeting in a living room, hearing the word of God preached is this, the Holy Spirit of God. That's all we've got. That's all we got to offer. The average worldly person is not going to come to this church just because. Now, they might go down to, you know, River Church or whatever, you know, Bayside and all these huge churches with all this many, all these crazy things going on and they got a skate park. Hey, they might go to that, but they're not going to come here. The only reason someone will come here is because we get them saved, because we invite them. That's it. So, how, how is Verity Baptist Church going to grow? So, winning. How's it going to go? grow? And look, I'm all for, you know, I'm all for putting signs out. I'm all for putting magnets on doors. I'm all for, you know, I've got magnets coming that I'm going to put on my doors. And I've got uh, license plate covers. That I'm, and I want people to know the name Verity. And I want people in this area here to know the name of our church. I'm all for handing out uh, invitations at, at Walmart. And, you know, handing up the cashier. But you know why? Here's why. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I when we started the church, it was maybe the second week. I was out sewing just down the street here. I knocked on a, on a door and and and. Uh... Everybody on the street had been kind of rude or mean, they just weren't really interested. I knocked on the door, lady opened, I said, Hi, we're from Verity Baptist Church, just coming to your neighbor wants to give an invitation to church. Lady said, Oh yeah, I've heard of this church. And I thought to myself, No, you haven't. (laughs) And I'm thinking, You haven't heard of this church. I mean, this church started last week and you've never heard of us. And she's like, Yeah, yeah. She's like, I got one of these invitations. And I'm thinking in my head, No, you haven't. (laughs) You know, I'm just kinda thinking, maybe I'm just being kinda rude. And he's like, Oh yeah. She's like, Yeah, let me show you. And she runs over and she comes back and she has one of our church invitations, and I'm like, man, angels are out so winning, you know, like, God is up here. And I'm like, where do you get that from? And she's like, somebody gave this to me at Walmart. And I'm like, nobody is passing out an invitation at Walmart. She's like, well, I, I'm a cashier at Walmart, and somebody handed me this invitation. And then she looked at me, and she's like, actually, it was you. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I gave her an invitation at Walmart, and then like two weeks later, I knocked on her door, and she. but you know what? Because she knew who we were. She allowed me, and she didn't get saved, but she was friendly. You know, and, and when people know your name and when they've heard of you, you know, that way when we, you know, why do we want to give out invitations at the drive through Why do we want to put the sign up in front of the door? Why do we want to put the license plate cover? Why do we, why? So when we knock on the doors, they're like, yeah, I think I've heard of that church. You know, it allows us to, it, it, it gives, but, but look, nobody's going to get saved because I put a license plate cover that says Verity Baptist Church. You know what I'm saying? But, but we need to do it. You know, it's just, it's just good marketing, good business to just get your name out there. So we're all for that. We're all for getting our that's why when we when we knock on somebody's door and they don't answer, we still leave an invitation. But the priority is so many. The priority is getting people saved. The priority is restoring people's lives. The priority is obviously getting somebody saved. But if we're out there, we might as well get the name out there too. Because hey, somebody might say, Yeah, I've heard of this church, and you're thinking in your head, No, you haven't. But it was good, you know, it was a good thing. So look at verse 35. John nine, thirty five. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Does thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? So notice he's not saved yet. Jesus is going to get him saved right now. Look at verse 37. I think this is the sweetest part of this story. If you just read it, it kind of goes by by you uh, real fast. But I, I love what Jesus says here. Look at verse 37 in John 9. Bible says, and Jesus said unto him, because he asked him, you know, does thou believe on the Son of God? He said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, thou hast both, look what he says, seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Now, I think that's just a sweet thing that Jesus would say. And I don't know, you know, that stood out to me, because I don't know that there's any other time in the Bible, and there might be. I didn't really look into it. But I couldn't think of any other time when Jesus said, thou hast both seen him. But I think it's a sweet thing, because you've got to keep in mind, this man was born blind. This man has seen the first images in his life that he's ever seen in the last 24 hours. And when Jesus healed him, and he said, who is he, Lord? He, he brings to his attention, he said, you've seen him, and is he that talketh with me? You know, I think that's just a beautiful thing. He's just showing him, you know, I love you. I care about you. I healed you. If you remember, when Jesus healed him, he he spent on the ground and he made a clay and he put it on his eyes and he told him to go wash. The man never saw Jesus. Remember when they asked when they asked him, you know, where is he? He said, I don't know. Because he never actually saw him. He had the clay on his eyes till he washed it off. Then his you know, and that's a picture of salvation too. You know, you're saved by faith, blind faith. You don't you don't see God, you don't see Jesus, you just believe. He, just, he didn't see Jesus heal him, he just believed, he just went, he watched and he could see. But now, I, it's just, uh, to me, it's a beautiful thing. That, that he asked, well, who is he, Lord, that I, I believe on him? And he said, you have, you're have you seeing him. You've seen him. And he he has talked And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. How did he get saved? Believing. How did he get saved? Faith. That That's salvation. I mean, I, I, I've just... Decided, it doesn't matter how many times I have to say it, doesn't matter if I sound like a broken record, I just decided every time the Bible says it, I'm going to bring attention to it, and it seems like multiple times a sermon, it seems like you can't go through a passage in the book of John, in the book of Romans, in the book of Acts, in the book of Genesis without this word coming up believe. What is salvation? Believe. Faith. Is salvation getting baptized? No. In salvation, and here's, here's the thing, I'll be honest with you. Fundamental Baptists have gone into this mentality that you must repent of your sins to be saved, and that's wrong. That's heresy. If I must repent of my sins to be saved, then I'm performing a work. If you, in fact, let me, let's just look at it real quick. I, I, I know I told you we're almost done, but go with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Jonah. This isn't in my notes either, but um, I think it's it's interesting. Something we must. We must understand this. Look, look at Jonah, chapter number uh, 3. Look at verse 10. Or look at verse 9. The Bible says, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? And look at verse 10. And God saw their works that they had turned from their evil way. According to Jonah chapter number 3 and verse 10, when somebody turns from their evil way, God calls that works. The Bible says, and God, when Nineveh repented, and they turned from their wicked, evil ways, the Bible says in verse 10, and God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way. So some Baptist preacher tries to come up to you during some conference or some camp or some preaching thing, and they say, You gotta turn from your sins. You gotta repent. And here's what they say, You gotta repent of your sins. And when repent means you turn from your sins, and you turn from sin to the Savior. And you know according to the Bible, when you turn from your evil way, God says that's works. And the Bible says that we are saved by grace, not of works. You know, and then look at this. And God repented of the evil that he had said, and he would do, that he would say he would do unto them, and, and he did it not. Grab a concordance, look up the word repentance. You're going to find that in the Bible, God repents more times than man repents. I mean, God repents all over the, the place in the Old Testament and, and uh, in the Bible. So the word repent means, it does mean to change your mind. You know, God was going to destroy Nineveh. They got right with God, and then he changed his mind and said, I repent of that, and he didn't destroy it. And then later on, he destroyed them in, in another passage there. But, um, you know, after hundreds of years of them going back to the to their evil way. But, you know, you do have... To, and look, I believe in repenting for salvation. Not turning from your sins. You know, but you've got to change... Look, if, if, uh, if, if, if there's a Catholic, and they believe that they're saved because they because they take the sacraments, and because they got catechized, and because they got baptized, and then they're going to put their faith in Jesus Christ, they've got to decide. They've got to repent from that belief. They've got to repent from believing in the Catholic Church, and they've got to turn to Jesus. But none of that means changing your life. None of that means being a good person. None of that means turning over a new leaf. That's just a change. You've, the Bible says you repent from dead works, and you, and you believe. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's all over the Bible. It's believing. Believe, 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 believe. Well, what do you repent of? Unbelief. Well, I used to believe in, in Muhammad. That means you didn't believe in Jesus Christ. So you got to repent from that unbelief and believe in Jesus Christ. I used to believe in the Catholic Church. you got to repent from that unbelief and believe in Jesus Christ. Does, does it mean i got to stop drinking? No. That's works. Does it mean i I, I got to stop fornicating? No, that's works. Now look, you should stop fornicating. But not to be saved. Because, very clear... And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. If you turn from your evil way, God says that's works. And if you are doing that to get saved, repent of your sins, it's works. And the Bible says it over and over and over and over. He said, believe. And the Bible says that the man believed there and, and he got saved. And that's what the Bible is. And, and do, do a word study of the word repent, of the word believe. And you're going to find uh, that the Bible is very clear about that. So let's go ahead and bow our head to we'll have a word of prayer. Give me, Father. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your Bible.